Well, good morning again. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to uh, Acts chapter 17. Acts 17 will be there this morning. Uh, And as you are uh, flipping there, I've got a bunch of announcements for you. You should have grabbed one of these when you came in. Uh, If you're a guest with us, uh, first of all, my name is Justin Holifield. Is it dark in here? Yeah, there we go. I I, I need to see your faces. Uh, uh, Anyway, my name is Justin Holifield. I'm one of the pastors here at Crosspoint, so thank you so much for being here with us. Uh, If you're a guest, you should have received one of these when you came in. In the bottom, there's a little tear-off section, just some information your name and uh, just how to get in touch with you and ways we can serve you. If you flip on the back, there's different things there. You can also scan that QR code uh, if you want to do it electronically uh, on your phone. And that'll come straight to my email and we'll reach out to you in any way and serve you any way that we can. Uh, Remember, uh, we have Fall Fest slash Family Night uh, coming up on November the 12th. Uh, family night, uh, family meeting is uh, just what we call, it's our uh, membership meetings or business meetings, if you will. Uh, so that's going to start at 5 o'clock, uh, and we'll talk through uh, the administrative ministry teams that we were uh, starting back up, and, and we'll hear from uh, the Next Point team about where we are as far as our building stuff goes, and uh, you'll hear kind of just where we are as a church. And then following that at 6, we're going to have a fall fest where we'll have different games and booths uh, set up. Corn dogs are coming. Uh, they'll be here. I talked to uh, the guy at the fair uh, that's coming, and I saw that they had cheese on a stick now in that thing. And so I said, hey, when you come, bring those things with you too. Uh, and so anyway, we'll have corn dogs and cheese on a stick. Uh, and so and the church covers that. That's just come. And, and have a corn dog or a cheese on a stick. Not both. Just kidding. You can have whatever. Uh, uh, we're doing with it. We, we ain't rich around here. I'm just kidding. Get what you want. Uh, but anyway, so that's the 12th uh, from 6 to 8. Uh, and so if you have any questions, uh, three ladies you can reach out to. Shelby Wimpigler, Anna Freeman, or Drew Culpepper. Uh, that's the ladies that are kind of uh, heading that up. Uh, it's not too late for sign up for small groups. We uh, meet each week. We have small groups to meet throughout the community, uh, and so please, uh, if you're interested in those, uh, you can you can reach out via that QR code on the back of the or on the front of this. Uh, every Sunday morning, we have a Bible study that starts at 9 a.m. over in the Education Building. That's uh, led by Josh Now and Jared Culpepper. Uh, you don't have to have been there for the whole year to show up. Just show up. Uh, they're studying through. Y'all still in John? Yeah, Gospel of John, and so you're welcome to come uh, to that. And so you've seen over probably the past few weeks uh, that we've kept this volunteers needed in our children's ministry. Uh, And so that's always a need for us, but Miss Carrie uh, made me uh, uh, aware of a situation, an issue. Not an issue, it's a good thing, but it's going to provide opportunities that we need more places to serve. So currently, uh, there are rather nine pregnant ladies or just had babies at Crosspoint. Two of those were born this past week, so uh, congratulations to the Wimpilgers and the Selmans. Uh, but six of those work in kids' ministry. Uh, six of the ladies who had children work in kids' ministry, which means we're going to have some vacant spots over the next little bit that need to be filled. And so even if you can't permanently fill in, at least uh, as, the, as their own maternity leave, uh, that you could come in and, and fill in. So please see Carrie uh, for that. And I think everything's, but on fifth Sundays, uh, fifth and sixth graders go to the education building and the third and fourth graders come here. And so if 
you're confused about the kids' ministry stuff, that's how that is. And so I think that's all of my announcements. Oh, no, last one. The youth are, are participating in Operation Christmas Child where they're packing shoeboxes. Uh, and so uh, they uh, need our help in helping su supply things for those boxes. Uh, it's, if you're a small group, uh, Paul posted a supply list in the small group group meet today. And I think there's some printed out in the foyer as well. So if you're interested in, in, in helping do that, please grab one of those or talk a small group. Uh, and I think they're packing those boxes on November the 15th. And so we have a few weeks to help with yeah. All right. I think that's it. Let's go to the Word. In Acts chapter 17, and we saw last week, uh, upon being uh, or fleeing or being kicked out of Philippi, that Paul and Silas ended up in uh, Thessalonica. And so we spent last week, I'm not going to rehash it, but they get to Thessalonica. They spent three Sabbaths in, to, in the synagogue where uh, Paul was preaching. Uh, he was, Scripture says that he was reasoning from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to raise again. And so, that's uh, so what we looked at last week and how he preached the gospel and how uh, not many Jews believed, but the Greeks believed, Greek women believed, and, and things were going good. But then we ended that, there, that the Jews who did not believe in Thessalonica, uh, were, they ultimately ran uh, Paul and Silas out of Thessalonica. They go to a guy named Jason, mess with him and his family, bring him before the leaders. Jason has to pay a deposit. And so this is important, by the way. I didn't really go through it much. And so ultimately, Jason loved, obviously loved the Lord. He loved Paul and Silas. But with this deposit, or actually I think the word they use is taking money as security. Ultimately, what they did is Jason ultimately uh, had a pay them and say, I will, I will not uh, host Paul and Silas anymore. Uh, and so, and Jason, we don't know really, I think it's because he didn't, he loved them, he didn't want them to get hurt or whatever. But anyway, so there was a vow that Jason made there in Thessalonica that, hey, I won't house uh, Paul and Silas anymore. And that's how he ended. And well, we pick up in verse 10 of chapter 17, and let's read together. It says, the brothers, so this would be the believers in uh, Thessalonica immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. So this is about 60 miles away from Thessalonica, which is really cool. You remember when Jesus is talking to his disciples and he talked about uh, go out to the highways and the byways, like go to the places where everybody's going to be, then go to the places where nobody's going to be. And uh, this is exactly what's happened in Acts 17. So in Acts 17, they're in the highways. That's Thessalonica. This is like the business. This is the capital of Macedonia. And now they're getting ushered out to this Byway, this podunk town in, uh, called Berea that's on the side of a mountain that don't really have much significance. So you see even Jesus' words there. But anyway, it says, they sent them away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Uh, note that. They just, it doesn't turn out good for them usually, but that's what they continue to do. And so they go into the synagogue. Now, the, these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them, check out the word, therefore, believed, with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. And here we go. But when the Jews from Thessalonica, who they were trying, Paul and Silas were fleeing, when they learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there to agitating and stirring up the crowds, then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea, but, and, but Silas and Timothy remained there. 
Those who conducted uh, Paul brought him out as far as Athens, and after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. Father, we love you. God, we thank you for your love for us. God, we thank you for your word. As we prayed earlier, God, we pray that you speak to us now as we open it and look to it. It's in Christ's name we pray. And everybody said... Amen. So what we see in the text, before we kind of break it down, I want you to see the centrality of God's Word in the first 15 verses of Acts 17. First of all, we spent the first 10 verses, and it was on the proclamation and the teaching of God's Word. You saw that, right? And so the centrality of the Word of God, uh, that when he spent three weeks in Thessalonica, he was reasoning and declaring to them and proving to them uh, that Jesus is the Christ that they had been longing for. Now we get to Berea, we don't have much conversation or detail about the, what Paul was saying, but we have to believe it was the same thing he was doing at Thessalonica. Uh, but what the, the importance or the centrality that you see is not the teaching, but how the Bereans received the Word of God. So central to these 15 verses is the Word of God. One is how we preach it, and one is how we listen to it. One is how we preach it and reason with it, and one is how we receive it or study it. And so the, the, the Bereans church is such an example of loving the Word of God or receiving the Word of God that many people who live nowhere near a place called Berea call themselves Berean Baptist Church, right? Is it like, have you ever seen a Berean Baptist Church in the middle of Jones County? Like, why is that? Because they, they want to be a church that, that studies the Word and examines the Word and, and is serious about the Word. And so, anyway, what we see there couple different points, but the main, I think, thrust of 10 through 15 is how the Bereans are an example to us of how to receive the Word of God and to study the Word of God. Uh, and so uh, the centrality of God's Word in Thessalonica and Berea, there's a word spoken and there's a word received. And I want to remind us that it is my responsibility or Luke's responsibility on Sunday mornings to rightly divide the Word of God to the best of our abilities. Amen? Like that is what we, that's what we aim to do. But on the flip side of that is our responsibility as members of Cross Point to receive the Word of God in all humility and eagerness. And there's a mutual responsibility here where we're called to teach it. And as members of Cross Point who come sit under the Word, we come to receive it. Right? And so both of us, there's an act in worshiping God, not just through the teaching, but how we receive it. That's why I think it's a, it's a worshipful thing whenever, not that we do it for our own accolades or our own applause, but as you're in, you're in it with me and there's amens and that, that we as a, as a body are worshiping God through the preaching and the receiving of his word. Anyway, if you're taking notes, I think it breaks down in three ways. First of all, there's the example of Paul. Secondly, there'll be the example of the Bereans. And thirdly, there'll be the example of the Jewish non-believers from Thessalonica. So there's three examples for us to see in this text. The first one is the example of Paul. And it's, it's really, Luke doesn't give us much. But it gives us a nice to see how Paul is an example for us. First of all, he says in verse 10, and immediately he sent off. So they're being sent off in the middle of the night for their own safety. You with me? And where do they go? Back to a synagogue. Like there's, an, there's something in that text that you and I need to look at. Uh, because think about every time Paul goes to a synagogue, it never works out good for him, but it keeps going to a synagogue. Whether he's a lunatic, crazy, just a glutton for punishment, or there's something bigger than is at the surface level that keeps driving him there. I think about Paul for a moment. Like actually, if you have Bibles, let's just kind of flip back to... Uh, 
let's see, chapter 13 is whenever they begin to, I'm not going to read much, but this is when the first missionary journey begins, right? And remember, they, they sell off and they go to Cyprus and they meet a guy there named Bar-Jesus who is trying to, I think Paul's words are to make crooked the straight paths of the Lord. And there's like, he gets on to him and, and ultimately curses him, it seems. Uh, and then they go to the Antioch and Pisidia where eventually they lose John Mark departs as a across these Taurus mountains where there's uh, thieves all over the place. Many people didn't make it, whether they were killed by thieves or they just didn't make the journey because it was so difficult. And then uh, they, they get there and then eventually they ran out of town. And so then they go to Iconium where their people began to attempt to mistreat them uh, and they escape there and they go down to Lystra and they, they, then they're almost held as gods, if you will, and they shut that down. And eventually it ends in Scripture says in chapter 14 uh, that they dragged Paul out of the city after stoning him, thinking he was dead. That's on the first trip. That all started with going to the synagogue in the first place they got. Then we get to chapter 15, it's the Jerusalem Council. They go to 16, that's where we met the church of Philippi, where they, they meet, we met Lydia there, things are going good. There's a, uh, 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 they, he casts a demon out of a, a slave girl, things are going fine, and then all of a sudden her, her owners get mad, and they bring them in, and what does scripture say? They inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into the inner prison. They get out. Or they go, yeah, they go to jail and we see how God gets them out. Now they go, they're, they're running away from Philippi. They get to Thessalonica. They're preaching in the synagogues and now there's an uproar. People want their lives. It's like, Paul, what do you, just stop going to the synagogue. Like, that's what makes sense. Stop going there. You, like, what is your issue? And what I see the example of Paul is Paul was marked by courage. Courage is a word that I'm looking at here. That, that Paul had courage to face even the thing that may cause him his own life. It wasn't just something that he did just to get attention. It was, there was a courage aspect to it. And this is what I mean is that there's a, he had courage and conviction. Right? And my, my, my home church pastor, Brother Brent Benson, he, we were once talking about what a conviction is. And, and what, when somebody says, uh, you know, I have a conviction of this or I'm convicted by this or that kind of, like, what is a conviction? And, uh, and he said, you know, the difference between a conviction and an opinion is. So what he said, an opinion is something you hold. A conviction is something that holds you. Uh, and that's what we see here is that, that Paul, his courage came because he had, he, there was a, he, of his conviction, there was courage in what he was convicted by and what held him. And he was held to, by the gospel that it was, that Christ Jesus was the only hope for both the Jew and the Gentile. He, there was courage because he was convicted that this message of the gospel is true. That Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the one that was waited for. He is the one that the Father sent to redeem mankind and by him, by him alone, can man be saved. He was convicted. He held that conviction. He was convicted that he wanted his brother, his Jewish brothers and sisters to believe in this Messiah. So it carried him to the synagogue over and over again, even if it was going to take his life. He, he was carried by his conviction that produced courage with him, within him. He was convicted that Jesus is the only way. That no man can come through the Father except through Christ. So we see this courage of conviction is what drove him to keep going to the same place, doing the same things with all the risk. 
But not only was there a courage and conviction, but there was a courage in calling. Paul was convinced that he was called to do this. That he was, he wrote many times that, that God had appointed him to be a missionary to the Gentiles, to, to preach the gospel. And so an example of Paul is, is that Paul had a courage of both conviction and calling that drove him to preach the gospel by all means necessary. And he's our example, listen to me. Because we're called just like Paul was to preach the gospel. Like, maybe we're not the first pioneer missionary to the Gentiles. If we're going to go into foreign lands that, that, that have synagogues, we're going to synagogues, we're going to teach them on them three weeks in a row. But we are, listen to me, do you and I hold the same conviction that Jesus is the only way to the Father? Do you and I hold the same conviction that the gospel is the only message that can be preached in which man may can be saved? If we hold that conviction, then we must have the courage of that conviction. That you and I hold a treasure in clay jars that is the only hope for humanity. And that in itself should be a source of courage. That if they may kill me, they may take my rights or try to take away my voice, but I carry with me the very gospel of Jesus Christ. Not only that, but we share in the calling as well. We may, like I said, we may not be Paul, but we're all called to go and make disciples of all nations. All of us. So we see the example of Paul, uh, courage. He's marked by courage, but he's also marked by trusting God. How could he have such courage and this conviction and, and calling? Because ultimately he trusted in God. When we lack courage, it's often not something that we lack within ourselves. It's a misunderstanding of who God is. Our theology is missing something. Like our theology isn't arriving where it needs to be. Do y'all understand that it's the God of all the universe that has called us to himself, who's commissioned us to go preach the gospel? So Paul isn't just this high and lofty, unattainable whatever. He's not just a, obviously he's, he's zealous, but he's not the extreme. He's the example of what it means to walk in courage and trust in God in our conviction and our calling. Psalm 27.1 says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Christians, that's take courage. Because you and I carry the only hope. And we're serving the King of kings and the Lord of lords who sustains the universe Each and every day. So we see the example of Paul. I literally this week I was like, dude, why'd you get what well, the dude was confident? He was certain. <laughs> he had courage because he knew he held the gospel and that God had called him to preach. Secondly, we see the example of the Bereans. Look at verse eleven. So then these Jews were more noble. And immediately you may like, were they dressed better? Like, did they have more money? What does he mean by here? But this first of all, it says they were noble. 
uh, more noble than those in Thessalonica. So it's a contrasting to the, to the Jews. And there was something different about the Berean Jews than it was the Thessalonican Jews. That's, that's what it's saying here. It says, they received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. So the example of the Bereans, number one, is that they studied the scriptures openly. The word noble there literally means uh, high-born. Uh, but it became understanding, like more generally used to mean to be open or tolerant or generous. Uh, as in, they, their attitude of their heart was open and humble. They had a readiness of mind. To where the Jews in Thessalonica were so steeped in their tradition and the religion that their, their minds were shut off to the very fact that, that this could be true. That's why Paul had a reason and constantly go into where the Bereans here, their minds are more open, uh, unbiasedly, if you will, to actually hear the things that Paul was saying and to study the scriptures. So when they studied them, it was openly, it was humbly, it was a readiness of mind. They approached God's word with humility. And oftentimes, not to jump into the application already, but oftentimes you and I, as, as we usually start our way with very open to the things of God, but then we begin to say, I believe this and I believe this, and immediately we begin to become closed-minded to something. Obviously, I think that the more that we grow in the knowledge of the Lord, he gives us a gift of discernment that we'll see with the Bereans. Like we know error when we see it, but some of us are so steeped in tradition that we can't look into the Word of God uh, openly. I've always been taught this. That's the way it's always been. Well, that may, be, that may be tradition and not the Bible. That may be just what we're used to, but actually not Scripture. It may be. So when we go to the Word, we go to it openly. God, here I am as an open book. Teach me as I study your scripture. See the Bereans that they were more noble. They were ready to listen. They were ready to hear. Listen to me. They're not even believers yet, by the way. But they were open to hear the word of God and to study the word of God to see if these things that Paul is saying is true. So we, they're in our example because they studied the scriptures openly. Secondly, they, opened, they studied the scriptures eagerly. Look at, they received the word with what? All eagerness. Like this wasn't lackadaisical for them. It wasn't something that they just half-hearted did. But they were eagerly studying the scriptures. They were they were excited, if you will. There was a longing for biblical food. That's how it would be applied to us today, that when we come to, to sit under the teaching of the Word, we don't just come open-mindedly, but we come ready and hungry for the very bread of life, that we very come to, to hungry, be hunger, hungry for the Word of God, that an appetite for the Scriptures. 1 Peter 2 2 and 3 says, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. So we see then that they study the scriptures eagerly. Thirdly, they study the scriptures carefully. Look at verse 11 again, it says, they received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if what Paul is teaching is actually the Word of God. This examining the Scripture, the word examining, there's literally a like a judicial investigation. They, they were taking what Paul was saying and they were going to the Word and saying, is this, to be, is this true? Is this the Word of God? Hey, and you and I could definitely benefit from that, learning that tactic. Because not everything is being presented as the Word of God is actually the Word of God. 
Not everything that people or churches are even saying from the stage or the pulpit is not necessarily in line with Scripture. It could be tradition, it could be this, that, or the other, but the reality is, is they took what Paul was saying and then they carefully opened the Word of God. Maybe they turned to the book of Isaiah because they didn't have the New Testament. Maybe they went to Isaiah 53 and be began to read about the suffering servant. Because they had a hard time, that's the thing, they had a hard time thinking that a Messiah would come in and actually hurt. They wanted the Messiah to come in and overthrow Rome. To make, to make Israel the, the ruling nation, the leading nation, and the very fact that the Messiah would come humbly and suffer at the hands of evil men was something far-fetched. But maybe as they were going there, they went to the word, maybe this is how it went. God, we're open for you to speak to us. And we're eager to find the truth. And so for, therefore, let's read this Isaiah 53 that maybe Paul begins to preach about and talk about and just see if the Messiah actually did have to suffer. And if it is, it, could it be Jesus? And they go to Psalms and they begin to look at the, how this, there's a, a one that's going to come who's going to die, who's going to be encompassed by dogs, and he's going to be up, actually up on a cross. And they began to see these imageries of Psalms, and then how a Psalm also says, but he's, this one, would be, he would live again. There would be a resurrection, and they began to examine the Scriptures carefully and saying, is this the Word of God? Is this true? Man, what a great discipline to learn to, to listen to me. Not everything I say, it needs, you need to go to the Word of God. Don't take everything I say or Luke says as, as infallible because we're fallible. We're fallible. They were examining, and this examining was marked by integrity and without bias. They were searching to see if Paul's message was true. And what it shows us, this is awesome, this shows us, that they were not gullible, nor did they lack dis discernment. <laughs> like this is why it's important for you and I as believers to develop doctrine and theology. That we can smell f false teaching whenever we hear it. That we're not gullible, that we're not tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. Or by every Instagram preacher. Or Facebook celebrity preacher or whatever you want to call it that we when we hear the word of God we know it's the word of God and so they were examining carefully fourthly they studied the scriptures daily what not just on the sabbath Thessalonica was just on sabbath but evidently this message and the content of this message and listen to me it's eternal ramifications they said, hey, we can't, we can't wait till next Saturday to read this. we got to read it tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day because it was too important just to half-heart think about it. Because listen to me, they probably thought, if, if Paul is right, then our eternity hangs in balance. That's another thing that you and I could definitely learn from. <laughs> if this scripture is about eternal ramifications, then we would do much better to spend time in it daily, not just on Sundays. They made it a daily task to meet together and study the scripture. Fifthly, I think it's number five, 
don't know if I've ever said fifthly before. Usually my creative juices stop at four. I never get to five. And I struggle to get to four. But anyway, they studied the scriptures, and are you ready? And believed in Jesus. That the end result of their study of scripture led them to Jesus. So we see in verse 12, it says, And many of them therefore believed. I like the word therefore. It almost tells us, now I know there's outliers and things like that, but majority of people who reject the gospel, how can I say this? Do so with a lack of knowledge of it. That's why I think the word therefore is so important there is that they openly, unbiasedly, searched the scriptures, listened to what Paul said, and therefore many of them believed. It teaches us that the book, if we can get away from biases and traditions and teach the book, that the book will lead people to Jesus. You follow me? Like, I don't... I don't have to come up here and look cool and dance around on stage. I just need to open up the Bible, and the Bible is going to lead you to Jesus. I said, I know there's outliers. I said, I know there, there are people in here who have raised your kids and, and witnessed to your family members, and it's not because of lack of understanding. They just choose not to follow. So I know there's outliers. That's why Proverbs of like raising your children up with fear of the Lord and they will not depart. That's why it's a proverb and not a promise. There's the, it's the way in which we are designed to do things, but that doesn't guarantee this is going to happen. That's just the design. You with me? And with Scripture, what it teaches us or what we see in this passage is if we can openly, unbiasedly look to Scripture, it's always going to point us to Christ. This book is his story. It's about him. The third thing we see, the third example we see in the text is the example of the Jewish Thessalonians. 13, verse 13 tells us that when the Jews of Thessalonica learned that the word of God had proclaimed, was proclaimed by Paul, notice they didn't say it was even they heard that some Bereans believed in Jesus. It was just the very fact the message was being taught. The message that Jesus is the Christ. When they heard it, they came there, and they were agitating and stirring up, and eventually they ran Paul off. And we see that Silas and Timothy stayed back. Um, and eventually Luke tells us that Timothy and, sorry, Silas and Timothy stayed back, and then eventually Silas and Timothy returned. We know later in Acts chapter 20 uh, that... Um, Paul returns back to Macedonia, but we're not, it doesn't explicitly say that he ever went back to Thessalonica. Some people say, well, they, he, of course he did because it was capital, but remember Jason signed, had an agreement that I'll never host. And so anyway, we don't know. We know he sent Timothy eventually, but we don't know when and where, uh, but we know that, that at first Timothy and Silas stayed back, eventually they returned, but that's, anyway, that's not the, the point of the text. But what we see is there's an example of the Jewish Thessalonians here, and it is this, that our, the aim of our enemy is always to try to silence the message and the messenger. It should, they should remind us of the world in which we live. Like, 
and like I said, this as they go into, the, the, we're going to see a cycle of synagogue salvation crisis. We're going to see it over and over again, and we need to be reminded that as hostile as they were towards this gospel, then we're two thousand years removed from there, and that hostility has probably grown even more. We're in an age where. The world is declaring the things that are good as bad and things that are bad as good. It's in a sense in which we're further removed and the world is more hostile even more to the things of God. And so we need to remind in the world in which we live. And so how do we apply chapter 17, ultimately verses 1 through 15? I'm going to land the plane here. It's only 11 o'clock. Mm. First of all, do you, do you lack courage when it comes to being vocal about your faith, being vocal about sharing the gospel with, with lost family members or people you work with? Do you lack courage? I want to remind you, I want to make you think through, are you convinced that this gospel message is the only hope for man to be saved? If so, then allow that to be your source of encouragement. Secondly, are you convinced that God has called you? Maybe, maybe you don't work where you work by accident. Maybe you work where you work because God has sovereignly placed you there and has called you to share the gospel. It may be a temporary job, but nevertheless, I think he's sovereign over all of my days. Before they begin, he's already got them numbered is what Psalms teaches us. So therefore, I have to believe that even, in, even if I'm in a season of disappointment, that God doesn't waste that disappointment. That God doesn't waste those times in our life that we seem maybe as unimportant or invaluable, that maybe God's got you exactly where you are to be able to preach the gospel with those around you. And this to me, not just by how you, how you live as a poor. What we see, I didn't get to it, but the Thessalonians, and when Paul writes to the Thessalonians some years later, he talks about how the word of God came not only through the word, power of the word, but also the power of the spirit. We see that in chapter one. But he also talked about how they, they, they knew that Paul didn't come in vain, not just by the way he taught, but how he conducted himself while he lived there. Like ultimately, the way that he, when he would say lived, when he was there those three weeks at Thessalonica, he was actually living out the things he was preaching. And he earned the trust. And so I understand that, yes, we need to live in a way that we let our light shine before man. They may see your good days, glorify your Father in heaven. But listen to me, we have to preach the gospel. Not just, not just with the way that we live, but actually the words that come out of my mouth. Why? Because Scripture, that if we go to openly, humbly, we look to Romans and it says that nobody's going to come to faith without the preaching of the gospel. So, trying to tie a bow on all of 17, I asked this question. How can I know God's word well enough to use it effectively in evangelism? Because that's what we've seen, right? And so we've seen in 17 is that week by week by week, and that's when I, Paul went, and he effectively used the word of God as a tool of evangelism. And so I want to make a, 
caveat here or put an asterisk here. I'm specifically talking about how we use it in evangelism not to show people that we're smarter than them or that we have some kind of intelligence that they lack. Simply, how can I get comfortable enough with God's word, study enough that I can use it? Because listen to me, it is the word of God, right, that what? Points people to Jesus. So how can I study it well enough, know it well enough to use it effectively? So what I've done in these points is I've used actually Bible verses that talk about longing for the Word of God or studying the Word of God or teaching the Word of God. So this isn't, I'm on, this does something I just, and so I think it starts very primitive or primary. You ready? So Justin, this doesn't even make sense. First of all, I think there's a confession of sin that starts. So just how does that have to do anything with studying and understanding the Word of God? In 1 Peter 2, 1 and 2, Peter tells them this. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander and like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by you make up with salvation. What I believe is that not that God can't teach us in, even if we have unconfessed sin in our life, but there's a something, there's a relationship that sin in my life st- stuffs out almost times in which I hear God's voice. And so Peter says, listen to me, it's, it's, too, it's hand in hand. What you need to do is to confess, repent of these things. That's the negative. The positive is long for God's word. That we come to God, not perfect, we come to him sincere and broken, humbly say, God, I know that I'm a sinner and I confess these sins. God, will you speak? We come like the Brians and we place ourselves under the authority of the word of God, examine it humbly, eagerly, daily, openly, and we begin to read. And we're confessing sin. Secondly, we study diligently. The Bereans diligently, eagerly studied the Word of God. That we, we treat the Word of God not like, I'm having a bad day, so I need to go read Scripture that reminds me that I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Or I made a shipwreck, but I have to go to Ephesians 2 and it says, no, but I'm his workmanship. That we go to, it's a therapeutic way to go to the Word of God. Uh, if you don't know what I mean, go to Instagram or uh, what's that other one? Pinterest. Uh, and you'll see what it looks to therapeutic treatment of God's Word. It only goes to my felt needs. So I feel this, and so therefore I go to the Bible so I feel better about myself. If we go to the Word of God, eagerly, diligently, we submit to its authority. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Do your best to present yourself as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed. We like that, right? Do your best to present yourself to God as one. But we understand, obviously, this is the paradox of the Christian life, is that we understand my approval to God has based nothing to do with my merit, but on the merit of Jesus. Right? We understand that. So let's don't, let's don't talk about, no, my, my righteousness, I understand that, that my stance before God is through his son and his son alone. But the paradox, the flip side of that, is because of that, I have a deep desired eagerness for God to be pleased with my life. I'm not working to something, I'm working from something. Because Jesus has done something in my life, there's a desire to present myself that whenever I do get to the other side, he says, well done, my good and faithful servant. We want to hear that come out of our Father's voice. Eh? Amen? 
And so, so what, what Paul is telling Timothy here is to do your best to present yourself as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed. And how do you do it? Rightly handling the word of truth. How, how is that made possible? Obviously through the work of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. But as you and I go to the word like the Bereans and we go, God, I'm here humbly, openly, carefully, daily, eagerly. I can't believe I remembered all those. Not in order, but I remembered them. I'm coming. And God, I want, I want to have a life that's pleasing I'm going to trip. I'm going to fall. I'm not saying we put a burden on ourselves that Christ died to remove. But I want my life not to be lived, wasted, just waiting for heaven to get here. Because if that's the case, then heaven's probably not your hope anyway. That's the hard truth. If all Christianity is, is I get to go to heaven one day, but it has nothing to do with Monday, Sunday through Saturday in your life, then I'm going to say it bluntly and honestly and because I love you, is if there's no evidence of sanctification in your life now, there's really no hope of glorification one day when you die. We believe, we teach here that sanctification is the evidence of justification, which means Christ changing your life now is evidence that Christ has done something here. Not only is the evidence of justification, it is the hope of glorification, which means there's something that God does from entry in till he gets me to eternity that is constantly working. It's not perfect, it's not flawless, but it's a work in progress. Because if it's not, then we're saying Jesus can't do what he said he would do. That the word is a liar, that it says that he will, he will complete the work that he started. That he will transform me from, from one degree to the next in the image of Christ. If that's what the word of God says and it's not happened in my life, then whether I'm a fool or God's a liar. And I do not call him a liar. Sorry. That, I've wasted my time. Anyway. We confess sin. We study diligently. And here you ready? This is a big one. But it, it seems so elementary. We practice the truths of Scripture. It's the James 1.22, be doers of the word, not hearers only. Because if that's all you are, James says, you're deceiving yourself. That I firmly believe this. The goal of studying scripture, listen to me, is not merely increased knowledge, but an increase in holiness and Christ-likeness. So if your study of Scripture is resulting in pride, then you've missed understanding. You may get all the knowledge in the world, but you have not received, arrived at an understanding. Study of Scripture and understanding of Scripture, knowledge of Scripture, is a decrease in our own view of ourselves and an increase in the glory of Jesus. If that's not what your Scripture study is translating to, then you're not understanding Scripture. We need to confess a sin and pride and ask the Holy Spirit to illuminate our eyes to see and understand. I think this is fourthly. Yeah, they're all up there. No, that's why I, I did do them. All right, number four. Let's teach it to others. How, do, how can I get to a place that I know God's word well enough to use it effectively eventually? You know, we're confessing sin. We're studying diligently. We're practicing in our life the truths that we understand. And then we begin to teach it to other people. Repetition. That's what Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 2. 
and what you've heard from me in, in presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who are able to teach others also. We work being comfortable with the word of God by teaching it to others. But listen to me, specifically in the area of evangelism, what we're talking about here. The way to get comfortable teaching the word of God to a lost person is to teach it to a lost person. I'm by no means I'm a great preacher, but I feel like I've gotten more comfortable after October, by the way, it was seven years I've been pastor here. I just thought about that. EV7, yeah. So uh, hopefully over the past seven years, I've gotten more comfortable. The same way the concept is when we're sharing the gospel with people, is to, if we do it, we become more comfortable with it. So, how can I know God's word? And so, if you're like me, very simplistic, all right, I got the how, but where, where can I use the Bible and evangelism? Like we understand that Paul is in Thessalonica, and then he went to Berea, and like there was locations. And so, here's four questions to ask yourself. You ready? And like I said, I'm, I'm, I believe God's sovereign over my days and where I live and the family I was born into. So ask these four questions. Where do you live? Where do I live? Where can I use the Bible to share the gospel? I said, where do you live? Where do I live? Primarily, because if you're, if you're a couple, if you're married in here and you have a family, primarily it is in your house that you're called to preach the gospel and to teach the word of God. But geographically, where do you live? You're not there just by happens chance. You're there because God has placed you there, or here. But I say there because we're here, which means the majority of you live here. We're here to preach the gospel. Second question is, where do you work? I think I've already talked about this one enough. I don't have to go into more of that anymore. Thirdly, this sounds weird. Where do you eat? This is super practical for you, by the way. We're all creatures of habit. Now, I know Josh and the Deloaches, they're probably, and Emily, they're probably going to go to the country club to eat lunch today or not, not that Sunday, but next Sunday. Like, we, we, go diff- we go to the same places, right? Like, I love Casadoras and Ellisville, and I'm going to go there often. But at staff meeting, at least one Tuesday out of the month, we're going to go to Buffalo Wild Wings. Like, we are creatures of habit. So I ask, where do you eat? Because listen to me, I learned this in college. One of the most effective ways of evangelism where you live is when you go eat places, you eat places... Pretty much the same time, the same day. And guess who? Probably your waitress works the same day, the same time. So you strategically begin to go eat at certain places in a routine at a certain time, sitting in a certain location inside that restaurant. So after a while, you begin to develop a relationship with your waitress or waiter or whoever it is. You follow me? That is an incredible way, effective way of evangelism. There's a lady that works at Buffalo Wild Wings. Like, so we go there once. She may be listed on it. She, she don't care because we've talked about it. We go at least once a month to Buffalo Wild Wings. And we go in we go, hey, where's so-and-so working? What section is she in? Send us there. And every time we go there now, we talk about what's going on in her life, how we can pray for her. That, listen to me. And that's not because we're superheroes. That's because what I'm saying is, where do you eat? Very effective way to be able to share the gospel with people. It's not something you're adding to your day. Y'all got to eat. I'm too busy to share the gospel. You going to eat lunch today? I eat at the house all the time. Okay, you got an excuse there. Where do you eat dinner? 
Or where do you get your coffee from? Or, because I know we're going to do that. Where are places that you go to a weekly, monthly basis that you become intentional about the people that are going to be there? And then lastly, where do you play? Where do you play? What I mean by that is, where's your hobbies? Where do you spend your time? So Justin, I'm a parent. I don't have those. (laughs) Well, what sport does your kid play? What activity is your kid a part of? What teams are you coaching? What booster clubs are you a member of? Because I believe that God has sovereignly placed you where you are for a purpose, to carry the conviction that Jesus is Lord and only through him can man be saved with the calling that he's placed you right there to preach that message. And we're going to trust in him for all the results and all the changes. We're just going to be faithful with what we know we've been called to. So I think that's how we apply Acts 17 is that we we listen, we search the word of God, and we do our best to be able to clearly articulate it the best that we can with intentionality and conviction. Let's pray, Father, we love you. God, we thank you for your love for us. God, we pray um, that your word... Uh, that through it, like the Bereans, that we will, even today, that we'll arrive at a place of more confidence that Jesus is Lord. God, I pray if there's anyone in here this morning who has not trusted in you, God, that you would draw them to yourself, that today you would give them the faith to believe in and on the Lord Jesus, that they would repent of sin and they would call on Jesus to save. God, I pray for the believer in here who who's maybe just struggled with where they are in life. They're not where they wish they would be or hope they would be or whatever it is that's going on. God, that even now, God, you would remind them they are not where they are by accident. Yes, maybe bad decisions led us to a place, but God, you don't even waste our bad decisions to to sanctify us, to use us. Maybe we've been dealt a hand that is heavy and hard and it seems like it's unplayable. God, you don't even waste that. God, you use it to bring yourself glory and for us to glorify you through it. So God, may we follow the example of Paul and be, have courage in our conviction of the gospel. Courage in the calling that you've called us to share, God. May we be like the Bereans and, and be eager to study your word and to know your word, not for the sake of just puffing up a knowledge, but to, to live in a way that's pleasing to you, to know more of you. Father, I just pray as we sing again, God, that we would respond in however way, whatever way you're calling us to today. Father, we love you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. You can stand.